This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Abraham was great because he was not weak in faith. And when Abraham was pushing about 100 years old, and God promised that he was going to have a baby. Abraham was so great, he didn't consider his own body dead, it says, or the deadness of Sarah's womb. When God told him that, God made that promise to him. It says he gave glory to God. He went out and had a baby shower for the baby that was going to come because he was strong in faith. And the two little words that show you the strength of Abraham's faith, if you want to say, What are two words you can describe Abraham as? It's the word staggered not. It didn't knock him off his foot. He didn't go, whoa, what did he just say? He didn't go, whoa, excuse me? He didn't say, are you kidding me? He said, you can't be serious. You know, Abraham staggered not. But he gave thanks to God for the coming baby. And if you want these two words to describe Abraham, he staggered not. Now, the reason he staggered not is because he was so completely and fully persuaded that God was able to do what he said. That was the greatness of Abraham's faith, great faith. But faith means absolutely nothing if there's no obedience. Because James says in James 2.20, faith without works is dead. It's dead. And so Abraham had the type of belief that behaves He had a belief that behaves. Here's a little song, a little kid's song. It says, the kid's song goes like this. Let it be seen that with thee I have been, Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Let it be known that I'm truly thine own by all my speech and behavior. That was Abraham. He had a belief that behaved. He had a belief that behaved. Now, the greatness of Abraham's faith was seen when he was called to leave his family, to leave his familiar home, to leave his familiar people, his familiar city, to leave his familiar countryside there, to go to a place as is described in Hebrews 11.8. Hebrews 11.8 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called 
to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. So if you asked Abraham when he was called to leave his home in Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham, where are you going? Abraham would reply, I'm going to where God's calling me to go. And then if you say, well, Abraham, exactly where is that? Abraham would reply, I don't know. I don't know where it is. Well, Abraham, if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know when you get there? And Abraham would say, well, God who called me to leave, and I'll start walking, and then he'll tell me when I get there. That was the faith that obeys God. And that's the reason why Abraham was so great. And that's why he's called the father of faith. That's what we call the father of all of us believers. He's our pattern. He was also great because Abraham had this unusual love for God. He loved God. And God loved Abraham. As a matter of fact, God called Abraham his friend. He says that in Isaiah 41.8. Isaiah 41.8 says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Imagine that. God saying, well, he's a friend of mine. There can be no greater statement for a person than to say, than for God to say, he's my friend. What a thing to put on a tombstone, a friend of God's. And that's exactly what God called Abraham, a friend of God's. And Abraham was great also because he kept his family under control. And this is what God said about, that he knew about Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. Genesis 18, 19, God said, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. If anyone lived under Abraham's roof, might have been a tent roof, but still a roof, Abraham held the command over that person. Abraham was not loose. Abraham was not tolerant when it came to obeying God for people that lived in his house. Now, when they left Abraham's house, they were on their own, like Ishmael, who left Abraham's house. He didn't live for God when he left for Abraham's house. But when Ishmael lived under Abraham's roof, Ishmael obeyed God. So Abraham was great because he had this exceptional faith, because he had this exceptional, outstanding confidence in God. He, he believed God. He didn't question. He was great because he obeyed God. He was great because he loved God. He was a friend of God. He was great because he kept his household under control, and he made sure everyone in his house obeyed God. So finishes the first movement in the symphony of Abraham's failure and recovery, Abraham's greatness. But in spite of how great Abraham was, there just came this moment in Abraham's life. There came this time, there came this period in Abraham's life when his faith failed. His faith failed. And this is what we, we're looking at now when he went down into Egypt. And we want to investigate this and we want to ask the question, why did Abraham's faith fail? And if we could, if Abraham was here and he could get up and give the message now, and I'd sit down, I'd sit right over there, and Abraham would stand up here right in my place, and he would go through the, his history, and when he came to this passage here about this period of life when he went down into Egypt, he would hang his head in shame. And he would say, this was a dark period in my life when I went down to Egypt. 
And then we would want to know. We'd say, well, tell us why. Why did you do that? And then he would tell us what happened, and he would explain to us, look, the root problem was I took my eyes off of God, and I put my eyes on myself and on my problems. And then maybe Abraham would say, now, I don't know. I don't want to feel unusual up here. So how many of you, Abraham might ask, how many of you have ever taken your eyes off yourself, off of God and put them on your, yourself and your problems? And if we were honest, every hand would go up. And then Abraham would say, good, I feel at home now. And then Abraham would tell us that, look, I was a shepherd. I was a shepherd, which means livestock was what I did. And, and in obedience to God, I left Ur of the Chaldees. I came to this land of promise, this land of Canaan. And he would tell us that when he first arrived, he said, he would say, oh, Canaan was beautiful. It was a beautiful land. It had lush hillsides, and, and his animals did well and flourished there in Canaan. And Canaan is great for flocks because Canaan is like San Diego County. It's great as long as there's rain. <laughs> and when there's no rain, our water bills go up. But in Canaan, there are no sprinklers. And so the green hills do what happens here in the summertime when you take that drive out backcountry on 94, the green hills turn brown. And then the brown turns to yellow and yellow to white. And finally, the crops fail. The animals have no grazing. And that's just what happened to Abraham in Canaan. There was a famine in the land. And that's what happened in Canaan, a famine in the land. And the Bible says the famine was grievous. And Abraham was out every day of that famine, and he watched his livestock get thinner and thinner, and he watched his livestock struggle more and more, nuzzle their snout deeper into the dust layer of the earth, trying to find some root to eat. And he watched as one animal after another just fell down and died for lack of food, and there was nothing that Abraham could do. And Abraham's heart quaked. And Abraham's heart trembled when he saw this with this haunting thought, what will I ever do and what is going to happen to me? And then as Abraham is telling us all this story, he would, he would hold his head in shame and he would say, I took my eyes off God and I put my eyes on my problems. And we would say, Abraham, how could you do that? You're the great man of faith. How could you do that? And he'd say, I just got overwhelmed by the problems. The famine just overwhelmed me. It was all I could think about. Abraham would say, I know I should have remembered how God provided for me. I left Ur of the Chaldees. I walked out into the desert with nothing, and God took care of me. I should have remembered that the God I worship is the God who prepares a table in the wilderness. And, and, but I just forgot because I feared this famine. And Abraham would say, I just decided to leave Canaan. The land of promise, yes, I know, but I decided, and I decided to go down into Egypt. Now, Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world. It's a place of great plenty. There's so much food in Egypt. Egypt has so much food because of one river called the Nile. And the Nile River is so rich in nutrients, it's hard to describe, but the Nile starts off from two points in Africa. It starts off in Tanzania at Lake Victoria, and it flows north to go into Egypt, and that's the White Nile. And the Blue Nile starts off in the mountains up there in Ethiopia, and it travels, and they converge together to form the Nile that goes into Egypt. 
And as it travels across Africa, across deserts, across lands that where many things have died, it picks up such a rich bounty of nutrients that by the time that it gets to Egypt, it's miracle grow water. <laughs> and then when the torrential rains come, like in Ethiopia where we have 80 inches of rain, which is normal in the rainy season, and I've been in it, and I don't have a shower head that breaks so much water like that. It's like a fire hose. But when that happens, the Nile just swells as it's carrying all this miracle grow water down into Egypt, and it overflows, and it waters, and there's bumper crops everywhere on either side of the Nile in Egypt. It's amazing. And that's Egypt. Egypt is the land of the Nile. And so Egypt has this great abundance of food. Egypt is also the place, because of the food and the animals and the, the wealth, it's a place of great treasures. And all the treasures of Egypt are spread over all the world, the museums in the world today, but at that time they were all there, you know. And the Sphinx, you can go see the Sphinx and you see these monuments, these tombs of the pharaohs and this just spectacular, a rich country of wealth. But Egypt is also, was also, a place of intense immorality. And we can see that. I mean, you look at Cleopatra, the dynasties, all of them, and so forth, and you see Abraham's fear because he's afraid because his wife was beautiful. And he is afraid that she would be seen and she would be desired. And he felt he's going to be killed just so Sarah could be sexually defiled. That's what life was like in Egypt. Moses, it writes about Moses, Moses grew up in it. And it says in Hebrews 11.24, Hebrews 11.24, that he had to make a choice. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater richer than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, these verses that I just read to you here in Hebrews 11, 24, 26, they show us the great choice that Moses had when he was faced with, with his choice he was faced with in Egypt. We see there from these verses that it says in Hebrews 11, 26, the treasures in Egypt, the immorality when it says, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The pleasures of sin for a season are still pleasurable for a season. And Egypt, Egypt was the kind of place where a woman was fair game for everyone. If there was a husband involved, kill him. That's Egypt. That's what Egypt was. It was a land of pleasures, unbridled pleasures. We have Sin City, that was Sin Country. And Egypt had a call to it, a call. It was a very much like a call, an invitation call, very much like an invitation call that you find in Proverbs 9.13, Proverbs 9.13, which is the foolish woman. And it says there, the foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the cities to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, stolen waters are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. This is what Moses was faced with. And he was faced with the choice of, am I going to hold dear to my heart all these treasures, all these pleasures of sin in Egypt, or am I going to choose to forsake it all in Egypt so I can go be with the people of God in the desert? That was the choice that he made. That was the greatness of Moses. He made the right choice. But this is why Egypt is like the world with its gold and its pleasures of sin. And boy, does the devil know how to make gold glitter. And does the devil know how to give the illusion that all this wealth is just there for you and so obtainable, just come down and come and get it. And all these pleasures of sin are so desirable. And Egypt has this inviting voice that calls out, come down to me, come down to me. And God has a special warning in the Bible about those who decide to listen to that voice and go down to Egypt. And that warning is in Isaiah 31.1. Isaiah 31.1, where God says, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. God's word to those who makes this decision to go down to Egypt for help instead of seeking help from God is God's warning is woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. So Egypt cries out, come down to me. Abraham hears this invitation from Egypt to come down, and Abraham says, why not? Why not? A lot of people are going down to Egypt for help. Now, there were only two instances where God approved of his people going down to Egypt. The one instance was Mary and Joseph when they were running away from the slaughtering blade of Herod, and God said, go down to Egypt, and when time's right, you come out. But God always said, you come out. And the other time was with old Jacob when he went down, Joseph's invitation, and he was there. But even in that case, even in that case, Jacob says, I know I'm going to die. Don't bury my bones in Egypt. I am not an Egyptian. I am not from Egypt. Don't bury my bones here. Carry them out, which they did. And Joseph also said, don't bury my bones. Don't let my bones stay here. Carry them out, which they did. So those are the only two times where God allowed his followers to go into Egypt. Otherwise, Egypt was off limits. Off limits for God's people because of how Egypt represents the world. But Abraham was allured by all those inviting cries from Egypt. Abraham hoped that maybe just everything's going to work out if I just go down to Egypt. I know that this famine is just devastating my livestock one by one, Abraham thinks. All my troubles will be over. I just got to go down to Egypt. I know God called me from a long way away to this land of promise here in Canaan. I know God wants me here in Canaan, but why can't I go down to Egypt? God will be with me in Egypt. He was with me in Ur. He was with me in Canaan. He'll be with me down there. Abraham had never been to Egypt. Abraham had heard about Egypt's great river, the Nile, overflowing its bank with its miracle grow water. But Abraham had heard about those unbelievable crops, and he was thinking, my flocks won't starve. And he had never been to Egypt, but Abraham had heard all about all those vast treasures in Egypt and the great monuments, the castles, the tombs, and so forth, and he just couldn't stop thinking about Egypt. And the more Abraham thought about Egypt, the worse God's promised land of Canaan looked to him that was gripped by this famine. 
Well, slowly, Abraham would tell us, he turned his heart from God, and from the God of the land of Canaan for help to meet his need in the land of Egypt. Now, Abraham had also heard about how the Egyptians were very immoral and every woman was fair game in Egypt. And so he heard what the, how the Egyptians were gripped in a sexual lust where every woman was looked over by every man. And, and Abraham had heard about if there was a husband involved, he'd just be killed. But the famine was beating hard on Abraham and he needed food. So Abraham overlooked all the sin in Egypt and he thought, I could just go down there. I can be insulated. I can be isolated from all those things in Egypt and just have my little old life with God apart from them. He thought, God will find me down there like he found me in Ur. And somehow I'll reestablish my life and I'll reestablish my walk with God and I'll just get settled down there and I'll have food for myself and food for my livestock. And the more Abraham thought about this, the more Abraham thought about the wealth in Egypt and how he had never seen it, the louder the voice of Egypt came to Abraham. Abraham, come down to me. I'll give you wealth. I'll give you wealth. There's plenty for you. I'll give you food. And Abraham was allured by Egypt's wealth. And the more he thought about this great abundance of food, the beauty of the land, the louder the voice came down to him, Abraham, come to me. You fill yourself, you fill your cattle with my abundance of food. You enjoy pleasures. It's all waiting for you in Egypt. And Abraham was enticed by Egypt's pleasures. So Abraham made a decision, and that decision is verse 10. Verse 10, there was a famine in the land. Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there. We don't, it's just a little statement. Abraham went down to Egypt, but oh, what was behind it for the famine was grievous in the land. That was the most tragic decision that Abraham ever made in his life. And no sooner did he get into Egypt that the sin of Egypt moved in on Abraham. And sure enough, as it says in verse 11 through 16, the Egyptians saw the beauty of Sarai, his wife. And he knew that and he felt that. And he says, look, you just say, I'm your sister, otherwise I'm the dead person. And so she does. They see her beauty. They take her to be Pharaoh's, one of Pharaoh's wives. And Pharaoh then gives him all this wealth of sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And then we say to Abraham, Abraham, what have you done? Abraham, you just disowned your wife. Abraham, do you know what you're doing? Do you know you've caused your wife to be taken by another man? Abraham, you've jeopardized God's plan to bring blessings to all the families of the earth by giving up your wife. Abraham, your wife is taken from you. Your seed is about to be spoiled. How is the Savior of the world going to come in now? And so finishes the second movement in this symphony on Abraham's failure and recovery, Abraham's failure. And now we start this third movement, which is Abraham sitting there in Egypt and he's feeling the loss of it all. And he sits in Egypt. He's got all this food, that more food than he could possibly eat, an unbelievable new wealth of donkeys, sheep, oxen, and servants. And, oh, by the way, along with those servants was a pretty little Egyptian girl named Hagar who will end up destroying Abraham's home for the rest of his life will produce for Abraham a son, Ishmael, that will be a lifelong grief for him and a lifelong grief for us. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.